Last week we saw a proud and ambitious man, Adonijah, trying to take the throne of David. And I hope you all remember who was supposed to be king. It wasn't Adonijah. His Nobody remembers Adonijah's name, right? So clearly he didn't become king. Yes, Solomon was supposed to become king. That's right. And so when we read the story today, and we saw that Adonijah was conspiring with many of David's faithful followers, It's supposed to make us go, wait, no! What about Solomon? Solomon is supposed to become king. You might not remember why Solomon is supposed to become king, though. Why is Solomon supposed to become king? Do you kids know? Just because you read that that's who was king next? Or is there some other reason? Yeah, Liam. Because David thought he would be a better king than Adonijah. I have no doubt that is true. Wit. There you go. Those are the two reasons in a nutshell because David wanted him to be king and said he should be king and because God said that he should be king, which is a bigger deal. It's easy to forget the many, many things that God has said. It's a long book, right? This is why we must study the Bible. We must read it. We must memorize it. We must make it so that when we pick up and start in 1 Kings, we know the history. We know what has come before. We know what has been said already. We know what God's promises have been. You see... If you don't know what God's word says and then you pick up in the middle of the story, you don't have the context. And if you don't have the context, you're going to miss an awful lot of the story. It's like when I discovered recently, somehow I had uh, missed the fact that Joab was related to David. You guys know Joab was related to David? Who knew? Probably most of you. I didn't know. Not just related. Joab was David's nephew. Closely related. So whenever you read about Joab and his brothers... See, part of my problem is that names go right by me. So it says regularly, the sons of Zeruiah. 
Yeah, it was like, that's supposed to mean something to us. But if you don't pay attention, you won't remember that Zeruiah was David's sister. So you got to be paying attention when you're reading God's word so that you notice when his promises are fulfilled. That's the big thing. God keeps his promises and his word is full of prophecies. His word is full of promises, things that he is going to accomplish. And if you're reading the Bible and it says that David became king, or it says that Solomon became king, and you don't remember that God had said David was going to become king, that God had said Solomon was going to become king, it means a lot less, doesn't it? But if you remember, then all of a sudden it's a big encouragement to see that Solomon becomes king instead of Adonijah, not just because of the character of Adonijah and Solomon, but even more because God's word is fulfilled. God's word is fulfilled. So when... We read of Adonijah, we read of his scheming to get the throne for himself. And we realize, like we saw last week, that David is kind of checked out, disengaged, not doing the work that a king needs to do, whether because he is old and cold, or whether because he is lazy, or because he is mentally incapable, doesn't matter, right? Regardless of the reason, when we see this scheming man, Adonijah, trying to take the throne for himself, we realize David's Word is at stake. He had said, he had promised to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, that Solomon would be king. And it is up to him, if he's going to promise that, to make it happen, isn't it? But David's word is not the only word that is at stake. God's word is at stake as Adonijah is scheming. I'm going to read 1 Chronicles 22, 9 through 13. God is speaking. Through his servant, he says, Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest 
from all his enemies on every side. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. First Chronicles fills in some of the context for us here. It's not until you read through a book a few times that you see all the ways that the author has woven things together, right? You read through in the order that we've got the books here, and you hit First Kings and Second Kings, and then you hit First Chronicles, and you're like, oh, wait! There's a lot of overlap. This, oh, there's some promises here that I wasn't aware of the first time you read it. Then you go back and you read 1 Kings, right? Again, and you find it makes more sense. You find you understand it better. You find you remember more. You know more of the context. It's a beautiful thing. So God has said, Solomon will be king. It's so clear. David passes the news along to his son Solomon. He also promises it to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. He makes a promise. And as we saw in the passage, he was slow in keeping his promise, wasn't he? But did he keep his word, kids? Did he do what he said he would do? Did he make Solomon king? He sure did. He sure did. Even if he was slow, even if it took him a long time to realize that it was time, he kept his word. He did what he said he would do. This is one of the ways that we see that David is a man after God's own heart because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And so if we want to be like God, we are to keep our promises. We're to keep our promises. What are the promises that God made in this little passage that we read from 1 Chronicles? Well, one, that Solomon would be king. It's the obvious one. But also, that his throne would be established forever. 
that Solomon would be in that line of kings that ultimately is down through the generations, down through the ages, leading up to the king of kings. What we have here is the promise that God is going to build his kingdom, that he'd promised to David, that he had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he had promised to Adam and Eve that there was going to come a son. A son who would finally put everything right. Now, in the Old Testament, we have lots of stories We've got some stories in the New Testament too, but Old Testament's a lot longer, has space for a lot more stories, right? So we've got these stories of people and how they lived, what they did. And David, there's tons of, there's tons of stories about David, and, and David is good and bad, right? He's, got, he's a man after God's own heart going for him, on the other hand, he has murder and adultery going against him. Kind of a mixed bag, right? Okay. What are we supposed to do with David? What are we supposed to do with Solomon? We just read these stories, and if we simply read them thinking, well, I like that guy. Oh, I don't like that guy. Well, this is an interesting story. Well, this is an exciting story. Well, this is a boring story. What's with all the details on this? You know, if we, if we just read it like a normal book, like it's, it's there for just for our entertainment, for our pleasure, we're going to miss the point. We're going to miss the point. And this is why I say we have to reread it. We have to keep reading it. We have to keep remembering what God's promises are. And we have to begin to dig into what the Bible is saying and why we have been given some of these stories. So we've got David. And it's coming to the end of his life. And he's, he's not really engaged. But finally, as is so often the case, his wife comes to him and says, Would you please do something? Would you please act? Would you please do what you said you were going to do? And David is a man of his word, and he has a wife who is helpful to him, doesn't he? Who reminds him, 
This was something you were supposed to do. This is something you said you would do. This, by the way, if you don't do it, is going to be a disaster. It might not be so bad for you. You're getting old and you're going to die. But, you know, Solomon, my son, the one who you said was going to be king, I would prefer for him not to be executed. Myself as well when it comes to it. Do you think you could do something, husband of mine? Good wife, huh? And so David does what he promised. He keeps his word. He puts Solomon on the throne, but it's not at all a done deal. Even with what we read, the people are celebrating. But you've also got another celebration of another king going on at the same time, right? It takes David being decisive and taking action to keep his word. But it also takes God keeping his word. David does not have the ability anymore to run out of Jerusalem with his entourage and put up with another rebellion led by another son and fight another war to establish the kingdom again, right? You understand? He's old. He's coming to the end of his life. He can't even stay warm. It's up to God. It was up to God whether David would ever come back into Jerusalem when there were other troubles and rebellions. But what I want us to see is that just as David speaks to Solomon saying, you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. So, David has to do the work of seeking to be accomplishing God's will, being obedient to God's commands, and God works through that. God works through that. Ultimately, there are only a few people seeking to be obedient to God at this time. Got Nathan the prophet. Got one of the two priests. You've got some of the best warriors, but not the commander of the army. None of the brothers, none of the king's sons. You don't have David at the start. You got Bathsheba. And that's it. That's everybody that's trying to do God's will. Put Solomon on the throne. And Solomon and Bathsheba, I mean, I don't want to 
speak negatively of them, but you certainly have to suspect their motives, right? Are they seeking to fulfill God's command, God's promise to be obedient, or are they just trying to save their lives? Well, I suspect there's a little bit of both, right? Solomon will be king. His throne will be established forever. He will build a house for God's name. He will have peace. Solomon is a picture for us. Just like David is a picture for us, Solomon is a picture for us of that coming king. That after the fighting comes peace. And that is an encouragement to us because God has said that we are in a fight right now and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he has established. His kingdom will prevail against kingdom of darkness, against principalities and powers in this evil age. And there will be peace after there is victory. And that's the majority of what God is talking about when he talks about Solomon and making these promises. But if we look at that and we say, God is, God is talking, this is a, this is a prophecy. This is, this is God talking about that king who would come, Jesus Christ, and, and even about his second coming when he will destroy the rest of his enemies and if peace will be established forevermore. And then, if Solomon had not become king, if he can't even do the little picture of it for us, what of the big promise that we're all looking to? You see why this is so important, right? God is the one who tied Solomon as a picture to King Jesus. We're not the ones who tied them together. God decided, I am going to set up a kingdom on earth. I am going to point forward with that little kingdom to my great kingdom. I'm going to demonstrate my promises and the fulfillment of my will through this little kingdom. And so... You look, at, you look at David and you look at Solomon and you look at the, the possibility of David's line ending or going off in a wrong direction and you realize, oh, God has to keep his promises. 
God has to keep his promises. If he doesn't keep these little promises in this book, if Solomon doesn't become king, you realize what that does. We can't trust God's word the moment Solomon doesn't become king. You're reading the story, it ought to at least be a decent story to you, right? Imagine recording this stuff and, and, and then reading it as though it didn't matter. It's like reading a, a, a mystery, a murder mystery story, and never finding out who did it. Oh yeah, it just doesn't matter. I, I got distracted. I decided to start talking about the, the, uh, the color of the grass and turn it into a book of poetry. That's, I think, often how we read the book, God's book, the Bible, like, well, I don't understand what's going on. It is, I read it because I'm supposed to. You don't see the drama in this. God's promise is that there will be a king, and it will be Solomon, and the results will be peace. Now think about what's at stake. Sure, Solomon, his mother, their lives, that's at stake. Probably peace is at stake. But God's word is at stake. And so when you go back and you read the Old Testament, and you read an example of God giving a promise, and then keeping his promise against all odds. And especially when that promise is so directly tied to Jesus Christ, the one who ultimately sits on David's throne, the one who ultimately brings peace, Surely it has to be encouraging to you, doesn't it? Can you really read 1 Kings and not be strengthened in your faith? You see what I'm saying? You read God's word and it ought to be powerful. It ought to be meaningful to you because it is filled with God's promises. It's filled with his fulfillment of his promises. It's filled with examples of, like, Solomon and Bathsheba, whose lives are on the line, right? And we think, well, yeah, but it's not my life on the line. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my life. I'm worried about my kid's life. I'm worried about, can you trust God or not? Let's read First Kings and find out. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And just a few people seeking to obey, he works. 
it's one thing, it's one thing when, you know, God says Saul is going to become king, right? And everybody in the country is like, yeah, Saul, we're all for him. And then he becomes king, right? God fulfilled his word. That's good. But what about when Solomon is close to dying? And there's practically nobody who wants him to become king that has any power or import. It doesn't matter. God fulfills his word. He fulfills his word through a few people seeking to be obedient. A few people who... As, again, David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Do not fear nor be dismayed. When God is keeping his promises, he specializes in, he delights in, he particularly chooses to do it so much of the time through the weak, the pathetic, those who are not important, those who don't have any resources. And that's what we get here. A few people. A few people who are careful to observe his word. And what happens? God accomplishes miraculous things through that. He accomplishes great things through that. Now, I'm going to end by telling you a little story just to demonstrate the practical application that these kinds of things have for us. I read a biography of Emperor Haile Selassie. He was the Ethiopian emperor for decades. And as he came to the end of his life, he was in many ways disengaged like David, like King David was. Unable to keep up with everything that needed to happen in his kingdom. And like David, had suffered many uh, attempts on his life. Various coups had been put down. And those who were closest to him saw that he was no longer able to do his work that he needed to do. That the country was suffering for it. His most close, trusted advisor and friend came to him and begged him to put his son on the throne. To make the change. 
And his response was, did David ever abdicate? No. He didn't know God's word, and it was the end of his life. He was overthrown. He was assassinated. And the kingdom fell to communists. Many thousands died because he didn't know God's word. He didn't know that, in fact, yes, David did put his son on the throne while he was still alive. It matters whether you know God's word, doesn't it? If you're going to use David as your example, if you're going to try to appeal to how he ruled and how he was a king, don't you think you better, you know, know what he did at the end of his life and how Solomon became king afterwards? If only Emperor Haile Selassie had done what David had done. Things could have been very, very different in that country. So now, are you able to trust God to keep his word? Yes. Are you studying to know what his promises are and to learn how to follow him from the men and women of faith who have gone before us? Are you keeping his commands, seeking that his will will be done, regardless of how scary that seems? Because I guarantee you, there was a real temptation for David to just go ahead and let Adonijah be king. He's got all the approval he needs. He's got all the military power he needs. But does he have God's promise? No, Solomon has God's promise. Oh. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? Okay, so now you look around at this world and you look and you see, here is where the power is. Here is where the might is. Here is where the success is. But is that where God's promise is? Are you willing to stand up against those who have power? Against those who have success on their side, against those who it's obvious to anyone in the world that they are going to succeed. In man's sight, it looks like a terrible setup for disaster to try to put Solomon on the throne right now. But David looks at it and he's like, well, my wife is right. Nathan's right. I did promise this and God did promise this. And I'm running out of time and it's now or never. All right, it's now. 
a walk by faith. So trust God to keep his promises. I'll be obedient. God will accomplish what he said he would. And we know the same. The more we study his word, the more we know it. The more we see it. And the more it's helpful to us that all those Old Testament men are sinners. Because we're sinners. And if they were all perfect, if Jacob was a likable guy, for example, you know, just going off of what I said before, you know, some people you like, some people you don't. My younger sister has always been like, Jacob, ugh, what a disgusting guy. I can't stand him. Well, yeah, he's a bit bit of a slime ball, isn't he? So is his father-in-law. Bit of a slime ball. Kind of like a used car dealer. You wouldn't want to be in a good, you know, working closely together with somebody like that. Working relationship. Why does this matter? Because when you see that these men, David, Solomon, Jacob, you, you see that they're sinners, and you realize then... Jacob wrestled with God and said, no, bless me. Then David, at the end of his life, when he had no power, nobody with him, except a a, a few people, right? He goes, all right, trusting God and going ahead. Then you realize God is faithful, though all men are liars. Then you realize I can trust God even though I'm also a sinner, even though I'm a bit of a slime ball like Jacob, even though I have the weaknesses that Solomon had or that David had, or pick whoever it is. God was at work. God still accomplished his promises. And ultimately, his king, that he set on the throne, not Solomon, but in Solomon's line, just like he promised, Jesus. We're still looking forward to the completion of some of those promises. His return will be glorious. And we can rely on that day coming whether it comes before or after we die, it's coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these men that you've placed before us. We thank you that David kept his word and that you kept your word. And we pray that you would help us to keep our word. And Father, as we seek to be obedient to you, we pray that you would accomplish marvelous things. Not because we are marvelous, Father. But because you have promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And so, Father, as we go out from here, we pray 
that we would speak and act without any fear, with boldness, knowing that you accomplish all your sovereign will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.